Hi, I'm Patrick Pond, CEO and founder of Fabro, and this is the Learn From Leaders podcast. The background to this show is that Fabro customers are some of the most innovative companies in the world. Enterprises wanting to be more agile, software as a service companies scaling fast, and game developers and publishers wanting to master live ops. So we get to know some truly inspiring leaders in product development, marketing, operations, sales, executive management. And what we do here is that we interview them about leadership so we can all learn from them. Let's go. And we are live with um, Ola from um, Soundtrack Your Brand. But that's not the first company you've been involved in building. So um, I think for the people that um, haven't met you before, we need to start with a bit of a backstory. Um, I mean, can you just share, like, you know, the story that's been leading you up to to where you are today? Right, of course. Uh, where do I start? Uh, I'll keep it short and dry. I've been uh, trying to survive and uh, make a living in the music tech industry for almost 15 years now. So I'm uh, somewhat of a senior citizen in the music tech scene, I would say. Uh, this is my... Um, soundtrack that I'm currently um, managing and running and found that I founded together with Spotify as my co-founder is my fifth uh, startup within the the music space actually so uh, previously I have been on the the consumer DSP side where I was one of the co-founders of Beats Music in the US uh, the main competitor to Spotify I would say and then that got acquired by Apple and uh, my team was transferred into Apple and becoming Apple Music. Uh, and then previously, I've been doing hardware, um, uploader share platforms within music and, and so forth. So been really, really focused on one industry. I think that's kind of my story. I was doing other companies in other, in other kind of uh, worlds before that, but, but music tech was really kind of when um, I took the step into working with my passion. I have a question for you on that. So, uh, some of the um, customers we have with um, with Favor, but also with my previous company, um, are making kind of like music games, you know, like um, you know, rock band and you know, things like that. Um, you know, and they had um, they had like a hiring strategy that they they even though they were making a computer game, um, they wanted to hire people that had some kind of connection to to music uh, or a big music interest. Um, have you had something, have you had similar thoughts? I'm working with, my, I have the luxury and the privilege and some luck to be working with my passion, obviously. And a lot of people are very passionate about music. So uh, finding people who actually are extremely interested as consumers or, you know, um, hobby musicians isn't that hard, actually. They, they, they tend to kind of um, draw themselves towards music related companies with the same kind of logic that I came in working with your passion, right? Being able to pay the bills whilst working in an industry that you love and constantly kind of engage with the creative side of music and consume music in different types of versions. So yes, a lot of the people working uh, at Soundtrack now with me and that have worked for me previously in music startups also have a deep passion for music as private individuals. And, you know, before we move on, you know, just um, 
um, you know, clarification questions. So, you know, you refer to the Campanella's uh, soundtrack and, and uh, you know, when I introduced you, you know, I was saying, you know, soundtrack your brand. I, I think there's a bit of um, a history there of, of the naming and, and you know, a bit of a Spotify connection at the beginning. You know, maybe you can uh, just explain a little bit on, the, on that for, for, you know, the ones who doesn't, you know, are, are one of your customers or know you. Right. So soundtrack, first of all, is, um, as I refer to it today, is nothing more complicated than the world's first music streaming service for businesses. So when you walk into a cafe in New York or a Joe and the Juice in Copenhagen or a uh, cool restaurant in LA, uh, there's always music playing in the background. And that is in, by in the music industry referred to as background music. Um, doesn't sound that sexy, but it's actually really cool because music is a super important ingredient in customer experiences out there in the physical world. So um, I was working in the consumer space, solving the problem for music in our headphones, right? For consumers. Uh, I realized that there was a whole world outside um, in, in all the restaurants and cafes and retail around the world, the physical world where music was being played and, and it was a completely different challenge. So I chose to kind of pivot from the, the B2C side to the B2B side. And when I did so, I moved back from the US to Stockholm, Sweden, where I'm raised and born. And I founded uh, the company together with Spotify and the first product um, and kind of the first iteration of the company was Spotify Business. So Spotify Business was uh, the first product that we rolled out in Norway, Finland, and Sweden. So a lot of people kind of re relate to it and remember it as Spotify Business. And then we also rolled out a product called Spotify Enterprise. But those two products were merely kind of a sophisticated commercial proof of concept to see if there was a market there to sell music streaming into the, into the B2B markets. Uh, lo and behold, um, all the cafes and restaurants and retailers wanted to buy music streaming uh, and want to kind of use the technology of streaming to enhance their customer experience. So I decided to pivot from the Spotify brand and really move into becoming a completely independent company. So we, we rolled out and the company's name was called Soundtrack Your Brand, the incorporated company. And, uh, but the idea was always to call the product soundtrack. So the reality is that we now basically have moved towards soundtrack and the product brand as the core identifier of who we are and what we do, because our company is basically our product and we are the product. And, you know, I, I, I really like your, your brand name soundtrack because, you know, sometimes, you know, you really feel like. You know, you need a soundtrack to your life. You know, you have it in your headphones, but 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 it's the same thing. You know, if you, it's exactly what you say. You know, if you if you are in a restaurant, and that restaurant wants to have a certain vibe, um, you know, the soundtrack to the experience is going to be a huge part of you know the emotional impact on you as a as a customer, right? So uh, there's um, you know, it, this is one of those times when. You know, when, when, when the brand really resonates with, with experience, it will give, you know, in this case, the end customer, because obviously your customer is the business, but, but there's an end customer, you know, who will have a better experience, you know, because of what you do. Yeah, I usually say the classical, we help our business customers do better business with their customers. So uh, the, the fact is that I realized that nine, 
are now with some data back up i building a company for a while 96 percent of um customer interfacing businesses actually play music today um i mean just try it out walk in anywhere but it's you can really you realize when the music is really bad that's when you kind of you know notice it uh or when it's extremely good and kind of really jacked on and the dj is kind of pumping but all of the hours and kind of use cases in between it's only there to kind of make you feel the brand and experience whatever type of experience if you're in a thai restaurant or if you're in a, an italian restaurant just to enforce and, and strengthen the experience it shouldn't take over it should augment and support and improve so it's it's a very different kind of musical experience than the consumer services but it's super interesting i mean research uh, that we've done also academics have done have just proven the fact that with the right music at the right place at the right time a business can sell more coffee beer clothes whatever they're selling um and we're just tapping into that market and digitizing it with streaming there's quite a few companies coming out of sweden that are in mus- music tech and i think we could have a whole podcast you know around you know like why that happened but but I'm actually gonna not get into that topic, you know, and because I I know that there's probably several several people that are listening that are interested in, um, you know, kind of like you know what 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 does it take, you know, to make a successful business in in you know music tech, um, and since you're a you know serial entrepreneur, you know, you you built several uh, businesses already, um, I think you know. Today's conversation around some of like the, you know the key takeaways you know what what you learn because one of the nice things you know on on this podcast you know when I inter- you know when I talk to someone who has built you know more than one business I said you know there's there's typically a couple of takeaways right um, and you know every time you know you, you go and you build the next business there's there's going to be uh, learnings that you put into action and uh, I think both for the ones that are more on the say the junior side listening now but also the ones who are more on the senior side I think are super curious about you know your takeaways i mean what you learned from from building you know m- you know more than one successful business in 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 music tech sure um uh i mean it's uh you prepped me on this one a little bit so i did kind of take the luxury of kind of putting down a couple of learnings from these years and i by no means have i been successful in, in everything i've done on the contrary i think i more remember it being just painful failures but somewhere I'm, I'm still here and I'm paying the rent. So I might, I, you know, I'm doing something right. Uh, but there are, there's a couple of interesting things with music tech uh, and not just that it's extremely, uh, you know, stimulating to be able to work in the intersection of technology, music and audio, of course, that's for me, it's a, it's a dream come true. But there were, when I started almost 15 years ago, if you kind of look at this market, there was, very clear um, early stage but clear signal that the market was going to change forever there was uh, music production was going digital music consumption on the consumer side was going digital and music distribution was going digital all at the same time so there was this perfect initial stage towards a complete disruption of a marketplace and a marketplace where my thesis was all the music in the world would be made available at the fingertips uh, for anyone, anytime, anywhere. And here we are, you know, 
that 13, 14 years later, that's pretty much what we have, right? Around 100 million tracks in your pocket, uh, you know, wherever you are in the world. So I think uh, moving into that market, my thesis was there's going to be lots of room for interesting companies to be built in this space. And, and, and I was right. Um, and then I think the, the core focus I had was to try to understand. So if you have a hundred million tracks available in your pocket, how do you filter among all that wonderful music? How do you deliver the right music to the right person at the right time? Because that's obviously what a DJ kind of a topia of a DJ in your pocket ever, you know, specifically for you all the time. So that was really the interesting kind of problem to solve was to curate, select, if you may, and deliver the most relevant experience. And, you know, you only have one life. Imagine trying to get all the amazing tracks uh, during that lifetime. So the soundtrack of your life was kind of the initial thesis. And then three startups later, I, I kind of took the same learnings that I did on the consumer side, uh, which was trying to filter all the music um, with a combination of machine learning, humans, and great product experience, and then understanding the context where it was to be performed, uh, and do that for businesses and brands. Every brand has its soundtrack. Every brand has you know its own kind of, it's a snowflake. It has its specific positioning and history and everything. So you can, you could soundtrack that as well. And that's what we're doing. So the music industry provides an amazing opportunity because everyone loves music and music is played everywhere all the time, but it's also super complex. Um, there's, there's so much complexity in the sourcing of music and so forth. So the first kind of takeaway I have is like, like always, it's it's so easy to think of an idea and in music but it's extremely hard to execute on it because the content sourcing is so damn complicated so anyone who would want to kind of start building a company really needs to know what know what they're doing in terms of the licensing and legal requirements of sourcing ip based product music um, so that's kind of the first thing. When you look at a music startup, you can't just look at the product or the team or kind of look at the customers. You have to look at the relationship, the licensing uh, organization, what they've been able to source, the feasibility of that, you know, universal music would ever even do a deal with them. That's kind of one part of it. So that, that other industries don't really have, but the music industry has. So So that's kind of the first one. Easy to easy and fun to think up an idea, but extremely complicated to execute uh, because of, of the prerequisite in the music industry. Then uh, I would say the other one, which is kind of specific to my my uh, history, is I, I'm the guy who came from the consumer markets, building consumer products into the B2B market. So for me, B2B SaaS, this is, this is like new for me in, in the context of my career. But what, what I did was, like, I always focus on the first thing is product market fit. That's kind of my religion yeah, when you're building a product. And it's so important in the consumer markets that you can really, like, there's, there's no idea of trying to scale a business into the consumer markets without product market fit because you can't sell something to consumer that they're not experiencing. So it's always about the value of the product. And so I'm trained that way. 
And now kind of B2B, uh, 10 years later, are going in that direction as well. Things like product-led growth and, and, and that type of theory, where it's all about time to value, value first before sale. And so the, the second learning is not just specific for industry, but kind of but music in particular, where I come from, is that it's pretty similar how you do B2C and B2B. The thinking isn't actually as, as different as, as we, we thought it was before. And B2B companies have a lot to learn from B2C companies when it comes to establishing product market fit and building products. Because some people talk about this as, you know, the user-centric um, kind of era for B2B SaaS, right? Where it's all about actually looking how people use the product rather than how you pet what your pipeline looks like, at which you would kind of refer to or you can, can relate to, right, Patrick? So... So, so that's the second learning. Um, look to B2C players and learn from them and maybe even recruit from B2C when you're building a B2B uh, company because they, they're really trained in product market fit as kind of a drive. Yeah, I just have to do a quick comment on your, um, your, your second one here. I mean, I, I really like it. And as you said, I can totally refer to it, sorry, relate to it in terms of that, you know, the whole, you know, first you need to have value before you have, you know, a pipeline. Um, and and you know back in the old days with many b you know b two b products it was very much driven by sales organizations you know selling top down you know you know having their pitch deck um, it's a, it's a very very different world today I think um, and I think you're absolutely right um, I mean for example in our case what we try to do is many of the people we recruit are from the the game development industry not only because we have many customers that are game developers um. But also because they are so trained in exactly what you were saying, because you can't make a game without totally nailing, you know, all the, you know these points that you were making. So, you know, they they already are in that mindset of, of that. You know, the, the the end experience has to be amazing, otherwise we're not even in the business. Um, and and that's like a like a prerequisite to to you know, even be able to start thinking about okay, how can we make this um, a product that sells on an enterprise scale. So um, yeah, I, I you know I'm I'm totally with you there, but uh, I don't want to hold you up. So yeah, you're already on your way into uh, t- takeaway three. Yeah, and and I just like so I would I would talk about that one as as product market fit and using really kind of learning from B to C around product market fit because it's the this is the the product value era we're going into, and that also goes to the third one, which is related to kind of third stage, I think, or second stage of B2B SaaS scaling, which is from product market fit, you then have to move into go-to-market fit, right? And um, if if a product market fit is proven by, you know, customer net retention or kind of just retention in general that people are actually staying with your product, then you also need to find a way to scale it efficiently. So that's when you move into go-to-market and finding your go-to-market fit. And my learning <laughs> has been extremely painful in, in this specific third point because when I when I came from the consumer industries into B2B, I automatically, th- of course, I thought, I looked at B2B companies and I started building a sales force and doing exactly what I should be doing, uh, which was, you know, recruiting a sales team in the U.S., going to meet enterprise clients, uh, and all of a sudden realizing that that market was actually not the market where what we should focus on. 
it was really looking at the data and looking at the value and the scalability and realizing the fact that my little business soundtrack in music was actually self-service enabled and self-service enabled means that uh, you know a buyer can actually buy this on their own without the salesperson holding them in the hand all the way from initial touch point all the way to long-term usage without any humans involved so i tried every channel partner channel enterprise sales inside sales and everything but at the end of the day, uh, I should have actually just realized right away, wait a minute, we've just scaled this this music offering into the consumer markets, self-service and the hundreds of millions previously. And you know what? It's the same consumer running his cafe or her restaurant that's using Spotify. So they, we should be able to scale this through a self-service motion as well. So we found product-led growth and we kind of re- started reading up about this new religion and kind of found like, okay, this is actually thinking like a consumer go-to-market, but in B2B with, with the bonus of upsell and expansion sales and kind of, you know, LTV expansion over time with, with every customer. So I think it was a long, painful journey of, of huge mistakes until we found our go-to-market fit and kind of found the theoretical framework to work by. And I think the learning is... Um, that that okay you you probably have to uh, fail to kind of uh, take something out of your strategy. I don't know if I would have been as confident of saying no to enterprise sales and 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 kind of field sales as I am now when I've done it and seen like how how much worse it is in terms of value creation in my space my in my specific industry. I'm not saying it goes for everyone. So go to market fit is really I would say if you think you made it when you reached product market fit then lo and behold until you find gold market fit right so so that's my that's my third one <laughs> I'm scaring everyone here and that that's not just for music right that's for you that's for everyone for all of us running company um and then so so those those are kind of the first ones moving from b2c into b2b learning that i can actually use my experiences from b2c in my b2b notes and then kind of learning from mistakes and go to market or finding a way and then also learning to trim your trim your business from b2b established metrics right b2c metrics are different than b2b metrics so that's also kind of goes to the fact that like you can't do everything like you did in your b2c career you also have to kind of learn from all the b2b companies and kind of uh, apply your your business to that reality and then if i may just maybe one more um, I actually have two more, but I think uh, one thing that I've really been able to achieve lately, and I don't know if it's like a learning or if it's luck, what it is, but it's when you find product market fit and you're able to get the go-to-market fit, you've obviously done something right in terms of strategy, tactical focus. Then what I've really, I'm a small company, we're a small company, we're only 80, 80 FTEs and we're at um, almost $25 million in ARR. So we we really try to scale. One thing that really I focused on lately is getting all the teams, every engineer in my team, and we're very engineer-centric, focused on the business and organizing it so that all engineering teams actually own customer-based KPIs as well. So unlocking the power of product development and engineering teams 
in your business rather than having them as just builders of some other keys, you know, specs. So this is really the new one for me. Uh, and like the epiphany of when you get all engineering teams feeling that they're part of driving, you know, actual revenue, it becomes an amazing feeling. And it also, it's also satisfying for the engineering teams to feel that they're actually part of the business. So that's, that's my fourth one, like getting every engineer focused on the business rather than just thinking that they're a coder. You know, I would like to ask a follow-up question on, on this one because um, I think it's a very good point. Uh, I wrote an article uh, you know, a few years ago about like, you know, outcome, um, outcome-oriented development, um, which touches a bit of, upon what you're talking about. Do you have an example that you can share on, on a metric that um, you know, ties this together? Uh, I have, actually, and, and uh, this goes to actually my last point, which is always trying to establish a really simple focus. And uh, 2023 for us, I mean, you're doing so many things the whole time trying to, to you know, progress. But we've now, and you're, you're trying to oversimplify without oversimplifying in a way that kind of becomes, uh, you know, becomes destructive, right? But now we really zoomed in on one uh, sequence in our go-to-market, which is uh, free trial, uh, free trial to paying, free to paying rates here. So the free trials, the short story is, we're doing really well in terms of penetrating the market and bringing in free trials, and we're doing really well in when the customers are paying and they're they they become customers, they're they're, they're staying and they're expanding. So our net revenue retention is strong, and our top of the funnel conversion is extremely strong. Where we haven't been doing an amazing job is the free trial, the paying ratio due to of many, many reasons. And actually during the free trial, there's also, um, there's so many things that need to happen that come from product and so forth. And there's so many things that need to that come from marketing. So now I focus the whole company, all engineering teams, all marketing teams uh, on one metric next year. That's moving free to paying from 10% to 20%. So that's, I think that's the, the really tangible example that's on our desk right now. That's a great example. And I also think that, um, you know, it's a nice example because it's one that you could, you could actually copy, you know, I mean, many companies could you could, could do exactly what you're doing there. And, and, uh, you know, what you're saying around, you know, making, you know, the, you know, the, the product team much more directly engaged with the, the metrics that drives business, um, you know, I, I think I think it's an amazing example, um, and um, you know, I'll I'll, t I'll take that with me uh, myself as well. Um, you know, I think I think this, you know, when I look at kind of like you know the whole flow of the company, I can I can identify like you know you did that there are certain areas where we're doing fantastic, and then the, you know you have these parts of that that flow where you know you could do better, and you know having a conversion metric then that everyone aligns around. Um, I think it's a great example. And you also have to kind of org organize around it. It doesn't cut it. It's hard work. You have to create institutionalized all teams meeting around this metric. You have to have the data in order. You have to drive. You have to understand the underlying drivers of that specific core metric. Right? So it's not easy. It sounds easy. And then obviously people are doing other things. It's not like they're only doing that, but it's a priority metric. Like if you're going to choose between a task A and B, ask yourself which one contributes most to the 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 improvement of our conversion free to pay. 
then choose that one. Uh, awesome. Um, thank you so much for uh, for sharing these uh, these five learnings and and also you know the whole back backstory to you know to soundtrack. Um, I think uh, this is inspiring not only for people who wants to go into music tech. I think uh, I think these are are good learnings for for any you know junior or senior um, you know entrepreneur in 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 SaaS. So um, this was a great talk, and um, you know obviously we're both Swedish, and today we were speaking English, so you know we can you know we can cater to our audience here. But I but I am looking forward to seeing you you know in in, in the flesh. Um, you know, in a, in a not too distant future as well, and then we can go back to Swedish. Okay, Patrick, thank you for having me. Um, talk to you soon. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye bye. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, you know what to do: share it in your social media so more people can take part and learn. And one more thing: check out Favro Academy on favro.com for many more learnings. Thanks for tuning in.